Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we're pulling back the curtain on the Columbus Foundation. I sat down with Dan Sharp, the Foundation's Director of Community Leadership and Nonprofit Effectiveness. We give an overview of the Foundation, talk about some of their upcoming initiatives, and take a deep dive into how they are bettering the Columbus community with the help of their generous donors. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Dan Sharp, Director of Community Leadership and Nonprofit Effectiveness with the Columbus Foundation. Dan, how are you? I'm well, Tim. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you. First of all, tell us about the foundation and sort of just the high level. What does the Columbus Foundation do? The Columbus Foundation is a community foundation, so we're extremely interested in improving the community and helping our donors and nonprofit organizations and members of the public align around that goal to strengthen and improve our community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit charity, and so a lot of folks use us for their charitable giving, but lean on us, uh, corporations, individuals, and everything in between, lean on us for our community knowledge to help them think about philanthropy and where to make their charitable investments. And to be clear, you guys sort of guide people's giving in that you take in funds from individuals and corporations and then identify other causes or other organizations for those funds. And there's a huge misnomer that the Columbus Foundation is only for high net worth individuals, and that's absolutely not the case. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about many of our our public-facing efforts that anybody can engage in. Uh, But we do think of ourselves as a philanthropic advisor, so as those individuals might know that they want to give to their house of worship, their alma mater, and maybe something broad, uh, animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are able to help those donors achieve that goal, very specifically following their intent. And then there are many donors that want to learn more about the emerging needs in our community. And so they come to us and we're happy to educate and help guide them to organizations and causes that they already feel passionate about or can become impassioned around. How many funds do you guys currently manage? We have over uh, 2,500 funds and assets just under $2 billion, which makes the Columbus Foundation a top 10 community foundation in the country based on asset size. So that's obviously the do the generosity of our donors. And this is a model that does not exist in every large municipality. This is not unique, but is rare. The community foundation model is a growing model. So you're right, not every community has one. Ohio happens to have about 10% of the community foundations across the country. So really? the, the force is strong here, if you will. Uh, the Columbus Foundation has been around for, for more than 70 years. The Cleveland Foundation just celebrated their centennial. So there is a, a storied history in the community foundation movement. Um, and we see donors in more than half of Ohio's counties and in 35 states. And so while we're focused on central Ohio, we are able to provide service to anybody anywhere. Okay. Walk me through how giving works. Someone comes and so what's the minimum amount to start a fund? To start a fund, the minimum is 10000 
2000. And okay. it's been that way for a long time. So if you think about even inflation, effectively, it has become cheaper to open a, a fund. Mm-hmm. Um, we do take gifts as small as $20 online. So if there's a cause uh, that an individual uses their credit card to, to give to, members of the public are able to participate through the Columbus Foundation for their philanthropy. And, and we'll talk about it in a minute because you guys are known for the big give. But can anybody contribute to any of those funds? Like, is is the information about those funds available? Like, I personally know of one individual who has a fund there. I probably know of more, but they just don't talk about it. Can I give to, you know, John Smith's fund that is very specifically set aside for animals? Effectively, yes. And then when you give to the Columbus Foundation, you would receive your tax benefit and we would give you the tax uh, notification letter and thank you. And then the donor would be notified and then they would be able to certainly make the gift to the the charitable entity that that they care about. And so how does the process of starting a fund work? So we have a, a exceptionally talented team called Donor Services and Development, and they work with folks to answer that exact question. And so there is you know, an administrative process to it, certainly, for opening a fund is how we would think about that. So there would be a transfer of assets, whether that's cash or you could think of it in terms of stocks. Sometimes even there can be complex deals that include real estate. Okay. Um, but we're then taking that asset, investing it very much like an individual might be investing their retirement plan, but Mm -hmm. instead of having that retirement plan to live on when you retire, we're investing and growing it in perpetuity for charitable distribution. So you are investing it, you are making, you are growing that that egg. Yep. And so that's where then the relationship with the donor is so important because we honor their intent. So depending upon whatever uh, their interest level or risk tolerance from an investment standpoint, we can work with them. We can work with their professional advisor, whether that's their estate attorney uh, or even their wealth manager to make sure that we're growing those funds to the highest rate of return. So Can that, you talk about the general rate of return that you guys are experiencing? So private foundations uh, have to pay out 5%. Okay. Um, and they're mandated and there's giant penalties if a private foundation does not make that distribution. And that is how you guys are defined? We are not defined as a private foundation. We're okay. a public charity. Okay. Uh, the community foundation and the, and the IRS regulations, we could have a whole other conversation about the details and nuance of that. But as a community foundation, we don't have a mandatory percentage. Okay. You know, donor advised fund is a specific vehicle that many of our donors choose to use that also does not currently have a defined percentage. But we as a a guide can suggest to our donors that about four and a half to 5% would be a safe payout Mm -hmm. from to a charitable entity. And then that would help over the years ride out any volatility that their investments may have experienced from the marketplace. So you are seeing a return over 5%? Typically, yeah, we have fa- uh, fantastic. Okay. Um, but again, as a whole, a donor could come to us and, and say they just wanted in cash. Okay. And we, right, we can manage that cash. Basically, I just want it to sit here until it's done going away. That's an option, right? Okay. They could, and the term we use is spend down. Mm-hmm. So they could open the fund at whatever dollar amount over 10,000, and they could you know, spend that out. Okay. We would like for them to think about the long-term game and even maybe a charitable legacy. So we work with many of our donors, while certainly while they're alive, but also thinking about what that charitable legacy will be for them uh, after they pass on. And we can manage their dollars in 
perpetuity. Much of the grant making that we do, so I'll, I'll pause for a moment there. In 2015, $176 million came out of the Columbus Foundation okay. from grants. That went to 3,200 nonprofit organizations. About 10 million of that is managed through our application process that local charities can apply for. Okay. That 10 million is made up of many specific funds that care about, like, broadly health. Okay. And so it's our job. And I'm sorry, again, that's 10 million out of the 177 million that Correct. you distributed. Yeah. Okay. So then our donors did 160 some million and many. And that was dictated from the moment they set out the fund or maybe they amended it, but those are not dollars that can be applied for. Not typically applied for. Right? Okay. But what's great is those, do those donors, because it's their money mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're working with us that we honor their intent, that they can be dynamic. So we could have a donor that loves furry, fuzzy creatures, and that's what they started their fund for. But they may then learn about the uh, infant mortality statistics mm -hmm. and, and plight that our community is experiencing. And they may be they may feel so called to make a contribution to programs that are working on improving infant mortality as a challenge within our community. And so likely they may have learned about infant mortality as an example through our donor education okay. or other grants the Columbus Foundation has made. And we're very happy to work with our donors to help them broaden their areas of interest and their charitable investments. You've talked about sort of the donor services that you guys offer. Talk about that nonprofit side, how you guys work with external organizations to yourself. Absolutely. And many of our nonprofit organizations in Central Ohio are even donors. And what do I mean by that? An organization might have an endowment fund. Okay. And we might serve their endowment fund and just... As we and is that just donor. a logistical ease for them? It's an additional fundraising tool okay. for them. Uh, an endowment fund can provide stability for the nonprofit organization in times of instability. Mm -hmm. And organizations at the board's direction all have different spending policies. So maybe every year an organization receives a uh, distribution from the endowment fund and it could be unrestricted. It could go to a specific program. Well, but what I'm asking is why wouldn't they manage it themselves? Oh, so the, the benefit of any donor working with the Columbus Foundation can can be many. It could be from the expertise in the investment side. An organization may not have that in-house or that may not be something that their board is overly confident in. Mm -hmm. By being then an independent entity such as the Columbus Foundation is, as leadership changes at the organization, uh, we can help kind of stabilize so that an endowment fund or even any funds aren't then somebody's pet project. Mm -hmm. um, also for donors of that organization to see that kind of as a stamp of approval mm -hmm. the that that nonprofit organization is thinking about long-term stability mm -hmm. via an endowment fund at a well-respected philanthropic entity like the Columbus Foundation. How um, so often there's tangible and intangible benefits to working with the Columbus Foundation. Right. Well, and you, you keep sort of referencing like stability and leadership and the goals of the organization, whether those endowment funds become a pet project for new leadership. Is politics playing into this a lot? So I think every organization probably has their, their politics. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about electoral politics or we're not necessarily talking about policy at the national level. Right. Although we certainly are when it comes to tax policy. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's the case with any administration. Well, what I mean is internal politics right. to organizations. Right. right. So absolutely. Po politics are a part of kind of uh, any organization. And do you guys have to sort of mitigate that sometimes? I wouldn't say have to mitigate, but okay. we're seen as a, a neutral entity. One of the most powerful roles that a community foundation can play is that of convener. 
Okay. So we obviously can give monetary support and we're talking about grant making, but we can do non-monetary support and that might come through leadership or through trainings or through education opportunities. But convening is also a very important role um, that we get to have the benefit of being neutral to, to any issue, that we're not beholden to one cause or one organization. So even within the community, pick any topic, it's likely that we've hosted a conversation and brought leaders that are passionate about that and working on those issues together uh, around our table to have a dialogue. Well, and it, as you've stated, it is all donor advised in the end. So when someone comes in and sets up the endowment, that's the structure that it's going to be unless the board of any given organization is willing to change that. Correct. Okay. Let's talk about some of the initiatives that you guys have. You are doing this year another big give. There will be a big give in 2017. Time of year? Not disclosed. Okay. Okay. Um, but so a little background, the, the Big Give is a 24-hour giving day that is intended to stimulate giving for nonprofit organizations in Central Ohio. The most recent one was done in 2015, and there were more than 19,000 transactions, again, from $20 all the way up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And in that 24-hour period more than $15 million was leveraged for more than 500 organizations locally. That's fantastic. Uh, tremendous. And organizations and donors, the energy around it is, is just something else. And so we're excited to bring that back bigger than ever. And to put a finer point on it, those are also donor-advised funds. Those funds are matched to an extent, correct? So not matched. Okay. Um, there is an amplification. So okay. we have a bonus pool. Got for it. 2015, there was $1.4 million available okay. in the bonus pool. So that meant that really uh, $13 million and some change was raised. So that was dollars in the door. And then the amplification for each dollar was about 10% from that bonus pool that then got us to that $15 million amount. So someone goes in, spends $20, gets $22 that then goes to whatever organization, whatever charity they, they chose. define. Correct. Great. And Great. we've had promotional partners in the past where then the members of the public who have made a gift have been able to take their receipt and go to uh, the past partners, Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, homage and piata and receive a good mm -hmm. a delicious and a, a great um columbus centric uh, apparel piece from yeah homage absolutely any idea what the bonus pool will be for this year uh, well anything with this year's big give we're striving for it to be bigger and better than than even in years past excellent talk about some of the other initiatives that you guys have going on uh, gifts of kindness is something that you mentioned when you came in today so gifts of kindness is uh, another effort of the columbus foundation that is is benefiting our community as a whole. So obviously, Tim, we've talked a lot about this morning, donor-focused mm -hmm. and then also nonprofit-focused opportunities, but we do have a lot of public-focused opportunities. Okay. So the Gifts of Kindness is a fantastic example where the Columbus Foundation, in partnership with more than 20 social service organizations, is helping individuals at a, at a tipping point. The individual is experiencing something that could throw them further into poverty, could really destable their lives, whether, what am I talking about? Housing, car repair, uh, rent, utilities, mm -hmm. uh, food insecurity. So these individuals are receiving case management from our partner organizations. And uh, what are those organizations? So everything from YMCA, YWCA, Salvation Army, okay. Clintonville, Beachwald Resource. Community these are Resource people Center. that have reached out for help. Yes, and, and are receiving help in another way. Maybe they've been visiting a pantry mm -hmm. uh, to to access food for their family, and the alternator in their car breaks, and that's going to keep them from getting to their hourly 
job and if they miss one shift they're jobless right but if that alternator is working in their car they can continue working to Im- improve their lives through work and, and mm-hmm. provide for their family so it's very important that our partner organizations are vetting these individuals that they're receiving case management and our donors our generous donors are coming together around gifts of kindness the fund accepts gifts from the public mm-hmm. uh, to so it is an individual fund it is not something that was started but it is something that was started by the foundation and our donors yep we okay. have we have a, a donor who's extremely passionate about this and and the notion of kindness we want it to be contagious in the community and so through gifts of kindness being kind uh, in this case through monetary support but again stabilizing an individual so we're committed to making one of those gifts a day the need is certainly much larger than that and, mm-hmm. and when the fund when the balance in the fund allows and when contributions from the public allow we want to be able to have as great of an impact as possible, but um, to know that an individual's life is being stabilized through the kindness of others, at least once a day. And who's tasked with doing that? How do you logistically handle like you know one a day? Uh, so we have a wonderful staff member at the Columbus Foundation who is the interface with the organizations. You can give um, them a shout out if you like. So Barbara Fant and, and prior to that, Ann Dodson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kelly Griesmer as well. Gifts of Kindness are in, in their, their wheelhouse uh, and working with the donor to make sure that we logistically do this on a daily basis. And that's where the, the partner agencies are so very important. And those are amounts anywhere from... We see in, in a couple hundred dollar range, okay. um, and that's just because that's the nature of maybe the first month's rent, maybe that's the food instability issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fund was seeded in September of 2014 with half a million dollars, okay. and, and so we're, we're working from that. The largest portion does go to housing, then utilities for electric, gas, water, and phones, and so the average was $1,700. In oh, wow. 2014. Okay. Let's talk about Spirit of Columbus. I think people have seen it. They've certainly seen it on the Columbus Underground website, featuring an image of day of things that are happening in and around Columbus. Talk about sort of the general philosophy behind it. Yeah. So the philosophy is really twofold. We are so fortunate to live in a community that it embodies just a fantastic spirit. Great things are going on. Do we we have our challenges absolutely as a community, but I think working together to address those challenges really embodies the spirit of Columbus. So the Columbus Foundation tries to do an image a day that in a snapshot captures something that embodies that spirit of Columbus. But the name Spirit of Columbus comes from a fantastic story over 50 years ago. Uh, Jerry Mock was a Bexley housewife who uh, piloted a single engine Cessna more than 20,000 miles around the world. Most people give Amelia Earhart credit for successfully doing that, but uh, Jerry Mock was successful, thankfully, landed and took off Port Columbus International Airport. That plane, Spirit of Columbus, now hangs in the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. And so what a fantastic story, untold for many years. Again, I think Amelia Earhart was stealing some of that, that stage, but now there's a bronze statue at the airport. Jerry Mock was inducted into essentially the Wright Brothers Uh, Aeronautical Hall of Fame. Um, That's not the right term for it. There's a formal name that's (laughs) eluding me at the moment. But for us to carry Jerry's story and that spirit of Columbus to our citizens every day is something we take great pride in. And it is sort of that can-do spirit and these are the things that we can do to better our community and the world. 
absolutely through perseverance, determination, collaboration, all of those aspects were what got her around in the plane around the world, even though she was flying herself. But all of those attributes are something that make Columbus as, as great as it is. And I apologize for not knowing this. Is there a website just for Spirit of Columbus? How do you get that image out there? Uh, primarily through social media, but okay. they are aggregated at columbusfoundation.org, and there's even a, an archival okay. uh, uh, with the context to all of those photos. And we, uh, on an annual basis, have now been making Spirit of Columbus awards. We call them the Jerry. Uh, Jerry Mock. Right, for Jerry. And try to honor an individual in our community that has had the perseverance, the determination, uh, and has brought distinction to Central Ohio. So past award winners are David Brown of the Harmony Project, mm-hmm. Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, the late Denny Griffith, and mm-hmm. uh, former Mayor Michael B. Coleman. Got it. One of the things I'm always impressed by the Columbus Foundation is that sort of convening that you were talking about earlier, both in actual meetings of people talking about issues that affect Columbus and the region, but also distributing studies and things like Spirit of Columbus. Can you talk about sort of the philosophy that's behind that? You guys are very actively public. Absolutely. So we would see that as the importance of community knowledge, but that knowledge doesn't do our community any good if we just keep it to ourselves. So publishing and partnering on reports is extremely important so that we are better informed as a community and then can pivot and have programs to address those challenges, but then have programs that can address the strengths. And are those reports Is that something that is also donor advised or is that much more the philosophy of the institution? Both in the sense that people gravitate to the Columbus Foundation because they see the value in how we use that community knowledge. Right. Uh, Many of the reports that we might do... you know, could be funded in collaboration with donors. They may come together and say, this topic is of great importance and I would like to partner with you. So um, the best example of that, while not necessarily a report, mm-hmm. it's a direct response to a report that would be our critical need alerts. Okay. So right now in our community, the opioid epidemic is an immense challenge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, many of our donors were unaware of that. There was some report through a collaboration uh, of organizations that have has brought quantitative data to that. And so in direct response, the Columbus Foundation and our donors held a critical need alert where donors could then make gifts that then would go towards the immediate response, whether it's the naloxone kits, maybe it's prevention education, or just overall treatment. So what does that look like? Do you guys just send out an email to donors that have identified themselves as, I want to be aware of problems in the community? Donors do opt in. Uh, and share that they are open to learning about those needs. So past critical need alerts have been around school supply drives when we realize how woefully unprepared many of our our kids in our community are, and we need to truly think of our community's children as our kids so we have a vested interest in them. And so while school supplies do seem mundane, it's a huge barrier. There's also an embarrassment factor for the child if they come to school and their family doesn't have the resources to pull those together. But then it's also a a drain on the districts and even teachers' personal resources to to purchase that. So a wide range of, of critical needs that we go to our donors and say, because there's this acute need in the community, we want you to be engaged and come 
alongside of us and co-invest. But is something like school supplies something that like every fall you're going to send out an email? Okay. And so that was done a couple years ago. Okay. And there was something that we became acutely aware of that that elevated it to that status. Okay. Uh, So oftentimes it might be around basic needs. You know, the recession had a huge role to play in, in how we would elevate critical needs. But the most recent opiate epidemic critical need leveraged $475,000 from our donors to immediately act on improving the lives of individuals that are experiencing addiction. Can you talk about some of the other reports that you guys have commissioned or at least been involved in commissioning? Yep. So going back to probably 2005, there was an immigrant and refugee report and uh, collaborative that came together. So that was a point in time where our community was just starting to see an increase in immigrants and refugees and organizations were beginning to form serving specific communities, but there really wasn't a collaboration Mm -hmm. while many organizations and cultures were experiencing similar hurdles to moving and resettling to Columbus. So there was a report done to try to figure out the population, population of specific cultures, um, but then building an infrastructure was a result of, of that. And many of those organizations have persisted. And certainly we have benefited as a community from the increase of presence of immigrants and refugees, either primary migration or even secondary migration. Most recently, the Columbus Foundation released a benchmarking report that we've done since 2007. And the report started benchmarking Columbus to 15 peer cities. Okay. Peer cities, cities of aspiration that we may want to grow into. Name a couple. um, So we've grown to 22 benchmark cities now. Okay. Um, So Austin's on the list, the Twin Cities, Portland, uh, Las Vegas, Orlando, uh, and Columbus in that cohort is excelling ahead of many of them in areas of growth, Mm -hmm. uh, income, and wages, employment, uh, and even minority businesses. But then we are struggling and are behind many of those those cities within the benchmark sector uh, for poverty is higher. Pre-K enrollment is lower okay. in Columbus. And this is these are per capita numbers, I assume. I, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, small business incubator and public transit. And so that benchmarking report is available on the Columbus Foundation site. Uh, community Research Partners was the, the partner. I was going to ask and, that. And, and we will link to that report, to the benchmarking report in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Um, you are a money organization. That's that's a financial services institution. That, that, yeah. <laughs> you're a money business. Yeah. No, we're a financial services, services. institution. Yeah. When you see needs for organizations that those organizations may not exist. Let's take a very specific example, the school supply issue, where you identified school supplies need to be purchased. Are you guys able to take your checkbook and go to a place to buy school supplies and then distribute them? Or are you bound to find another organization to do it? Follow up. Do you guys put yourself in the business of creating other organizations or helping to create them? So I'll, I'll start with the transaction Okay, uh, that was at the root of your question. The IRS only allows us to make grants to 501c3 nonprofit organizations. Okay. So you can't go to Target and buy... Correct. Got it. But a a grant could be made to an organization that is already serving that population, and it could be done in that way. So that's where partnering with 
existing organizations is so very important mm-hmm. uh, for us to have a great relationship, to know their work intimately so that we can have the right alliances for specific programs like that. We are not in the business of creating nonprofit organizations. Our resources are finite enough as it is. In Franklin County, there are more than 5,000 501c3 organizations, and they're all you know, vying for similar dollars. So we, when we do have a donor services and development arm, and it's important for us to have charitable dollars come to us, we don't see ourselves in competition with those organizations that have fantastic development directors and development staff mm-hmm. that are on the pavement every day raising money for those organizations organization's missions. We see ourselves and on behalf of our donors trying to be helpful to that cause so that those organizations can be as strong as possible. And while that may not be within your organization, let's say someone listening wants to start a nonprofit organization, are there resources in Columbus for them to be able to sort of formalize that? There are some resources. Uh, I think overall from a capacity building is what we would call that. Mm -hmm. Um, We we could be stronger as a community, but we're so fortunate to have regional universities in the area. Uh, Our library system is so strong. United Way of Central Ohio also has a neighborhood resource center that has been helpful to folks. But what I would challenge somebody to think about that is passionate about going in a direction is to not be redundant, to make sure that whatever they're thinking about may not exist already to do their due diligence because if somebody wakes up rolls out of bed decides to file the proper paperwork at the state and the federal level and creates a nonprofit organization it is a hustle right because the, the dollars in the community even from individuals i mean think of your own wallet or your own pocketbook we're constantly asked by so many causes that are of great merit to contribute and so how does a young organization truly break through right. can a young organization instill confidence for that donor that they are investment grade and then how are they delivering the program are they delivering their program and their mission to the, the highest level uh, possible or are they replicating and kind of being redundant when then my dollar could go three different places and have right. this, the same impact that you want to be the best in, in breed. Well, and if it's some sort of very specific program, could it align with an organization that's already in front of that audience? Absolutely. And that's really what some of our advice would be to make sure that you're not being redundant, but then try to align yourself with an organization and either from a volunteer status or even a board member, make that organization and that area of focus be the best that it absolutely can be. One thing we've sort of walked around a little bit, do you guys specifically evaluate nonprofits and their efficacy? So we do have a substantial research and due diligence process that would go into our grant making. And so we are trying to get to the end decision about which organization is best in breed. And what we do say internally is investment grade, because we have to you know, instill confidence in our donors that our investments are going where they should and right. to organizations that have the greatest impact. So to your point, we don't have a, a specific rubric that percentage of overhead has to be this, okay. or they have to have staff under this or serve X number of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the hoops. I mean, it's, it's also about leadership. Are they going to do what they say they're going to do? Right. 
Do they have the capacity to pull it off financially in the context of that grant and that program? Are they sound? Are they operating too far or a mission creep? Mm -hmm. Or are they laser focused and and actually going to have the impact that they want to have? So there's a a lot of layers that go into our decision making. And those decisions are made both for people that are applying for grants directly from you and also in those donor advised funds, I imagine, because the donor advised funds, sometimes they're going to name specific organizations, but a lot of times to go back to the example we keep using. They just want fuzzy animals to get the benefit of their funds. Right. And so that is a service that we offer to our donors, corporate individuals, that if they have questions, maybe they have seen an organization in the headlines and don't know what they're doing, or maybe they received a communication from an organization and they want us to vet that organization to to give them some sense of confidence in Mm -hmm. their investment. We're happy to do that. Uh, And many donors, again, know what they want to give to, and some do adhere exclusively to an overhead percentage. Okay. And And that's just what they said. That's right. They, they, yep. they believe that's what makes an organization effective. And so, and so by all means, they can make a gift, you know, however, it's again, their money and we're, we're happy to help them. But it also gets knowing that I mentioned the number of organizations in central Ohio, it can get blurry because many organizations, either especially smaller or upstart, or even those that are operating with ill intentions. And they're, those are very few and far between, but, they do exist. but you often hear of a senior citizen being duped out of money and the name of the organization that was doing the duping was so similar to a mainstream, well-intended organization right. that you know, we don't let our donors get caught up in that. Okay. Just one finer point on the evaluation of the organizations that you're distributing funds to. Is that information public? Again, you don't have a rubric that sort of says this This is what these organizations do and holding them up against each other. That's not one of the reports you've generated, correct? Correct. But we absolutely do evaluate organizations to come to the grant making decision. Got it. And you talk to donors about how you made those decisions. Another initiative I want to go over, let's talk about the big table. Wonderful. So again, in the spirit of Columbus and in the spirit of community, we hosted August 30th of 2016, Mm -hmm. um, the big table, which was intended to inspire community engagement, community dialogue. And we heard from a lot of folks that they wanted specific action. They were so amped up after the conversation. And Mm -hmm. so uh, we were so excited to see that the participants, and there were more than 5,000 participants at more than 500 hosted conversations, so engaged and energized to improve our community. And uh, oftentimes the topics that were talked about were the same, no matter what your your zip code. Uh, and we did have a substantial amount of folks participate, I think from 70 some zip codes. Okay. So it was broad representation across our community, underserved parts of our community, affluent parts of our community. And most importantly, at any one big table, there were people that did not know each other. Mm-hmm. And that was so important so that we had like-minded folks be able to have conversations and be able to hear from folks that think differently, look differently, live in different parts of our community. How did you guys train the people that were the hosts for those individual conversations? We provided the toolkit and we had host trainings. So we wanted people to be informed on how to facilitate the conversation. If conversation had somewhat of a lull, there were prompts. Um, If a host wanted to have a subject-specific conversation, that was allowed, right? But we were also really hoping for a very 
light agenda. Uh, and so that ambiguity felt uncomfortable for folks. We got Well, and that's the thing I want to get to later. Like, what's the point to ask in a very like blunt way, like, why do this? Absolutely bring people together because conversations like this without that impetus or without that big table to come around Mm -hmm. aren't happening. Okay. And so it was so important to have people come together to just even spark that dialogue. Uh, in the survey that we did, there were more than seven, 97% said they had a positive experience. 97% also said that they would recommend it to somebody else. Okay. It was in the high 70s of people that said they learned something new. It was also in the high 70% of people that were at big tables with folks that they didn't know. Okay. And that wouldn't have happened unless there was the venue, if you will, for these conversations to take place. Was there a specific thing that inspired the idea for it? So kind of the community knowledge piece, but that sense of spirit of Columbus. Um, And we did it intentionally in in August. We had had a a difficult summer of of events, uh, Mm -hmm. no less the the loss of Tamir Rice, Mm -hmm. um, but also ahead of the election. Mm -hmm. uh, We wanted people to come together to be able to just have that forum, to have an open dialogue. But also this concept was done in Chicago with their community foundation, the Chicago Community Trust. And so we were very intrigued by kind of their best practices and and, uh, actually had a representative of that organization here to see how we were improving upon things. So a lot of information sharing. And I know we're looking forward to doing the big table again, no uh, no specific date yet, but also finding ways to animate it in, in the meantime, because there was such energy. Many folks are still meeting from their big table and we're happy to hear that again the ambiguity we didn't prescribe how they had to have a conversation or when or where they could meet it was it was all open sourced if you will and are you challenging them to follow up what do you hope to come out of it in the end so we did communicate with the hosts and tried to learn from them what areas were talked about um, and to you know, it has surprised some people, but I, I think we, it was something that was affirming for us to see that the needs and the priorities that were pressing in Linden were the same needs and priorities that were also talked about in Clintonville. Okay. And so whatever zip code, there was a lot of common themes. That's helpful for us to know as we look at all our grant making priorities or areas to focus either in education for our donors or even connecting donors to existing programs that might be able to serve or address or work towards the mission of any of those topics. Is there something that came out of it that can be pointed to other than 90% of the people met somebody new and 70% learned something new? Is there a report of these are the issues that were discussed the most? And these are the opportunities for growth that we have in this community. And so, again, affirming what you just asked about is available in that report. Okay. Uh, And so I'm pretty sure that's housed on our our website in the report section. We will link Um, to that. And so community engagement, education, poverty, and community development and children were broadly the areas that that were talked about. And so poverty, I mentioned, especially amongst our benchmark cities, that's an area that we're not doing as well in, meaning we have a higher poverty rate. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of symptoms to poverty. There's a lot of barriers for individuals that are in poverty. Maybe an aspect of it is eviction rates. Okay. Maybe it's homelessness. Is it certainly wages? Um, so very multifaceted issues, but to know that that was talked about across the board is affirming to then the work that 
the Columbus Foundation and many, many, many nonprofit organizations uh, in town are, are working towards. Great. One final initiative I wanted to talk on. Your current giving platform on your website is called Power Philanthropy. You're moving to a new site. I think you called it the Giving Store. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Talk about sort of what that will be. So Power Philanthropy has been a fantastic tool for our donors and our application process. You know, organizations, nonprofit organizations create what has been called their Power Philanthropy portrait. Mm-hmm. And it's a snapshot of organizational finances, programs, uh, who's on the board, what their leadership looks like. And donors have been able to make gifts directly from their funds. Members of the public have been able to make credit card gifts directly to the organization. Mm-hmm. So it's been a charitable database that's been able to be searchable. Uh, and that will remain with the giving store. Uh, we're going to be packaging the information differently. A portrait is uh, and should be a large amount of work for the organization, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're being vetted for an investment from individuals or foundations. But our donors also want to lean more towards immediate action. So we're going to have more digestible uh, bite-sized snapshots within the giving store. So the functions of investing in the organization, the functions of learning more about an organization will be there. Uh, and instead of the library database look and feel, okay. um, we'll have a, a friendlier interface uh, on the digital platform. And we'll even be moving towards opportunities for the organizations to uh, lift up and elevate acute needs that they might have. Okay, And so there will be a finite dollar amount identified, donors can give to it, very similar to a crowd yeah. crowdfunding platform. Okay. So it's an additional tool for nonprofit organizations to use to raise money, but it's within the Columbus Foundation family, if you will. So our donors would think to go there first rather than a donor thinking to go to a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe right. to benefit the organization of, of their choice. But again, they would need to be 501c3 organizations Absolutely. that you guys approve to get to have those you know profiles in there. And it seems to me that they'd also be able to do sort of you know their annual campaigns that, that way and and work with it. Certainly could. Yep. Great. Just one final note. Can you talk about sort of what are the bigger funds that you guys have and where are you guys seeing the most giving and what are the organizations that you're giving the most money to? So our donor family is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, we have individuals uh, that, that work with us that may not have the assets while they're alive, but they also may not have the family to pass on any assets to when they pass away. Okay. And so they aren't necessarily doing a lot of current giving, but they're being very intentional and planful about their estate when they pass away and, and making a charitable legacy that way. So like rather than giving to the alumni association with your estate, people are setting it up through you. Right. And then through us, they're telling us the organizations and the causes that they want to care about. Okay. And so when they're long after they're gone, we're going to still be able to honor their intent and their their legacy. And sometimes that's easy for folks if maybe the house is their greatest asset. So Mm -hmm. when they're no longer living in it and it sells, that becomes the the impetus for their their charitable giving. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we are very fortunate to work with many corporations that that folks know, and they're extremely generous uh, through their giving, and they see the value in working with the Columbus Foundation. So L Brands um, is a a notable one that people see 
uh, working with us, uh, Big Lots Corporation as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's room at the table for everybody in between. Okay. And that's often the misnomer that you have to be that large corporation. No, some of what we're seeing is with small businesses that it's important for their employees to be able to give back to the community. And it makes sense sometimes from a tax perspective for that small business to create a fund rather than just write a check. Right. Um, you know, at a, whatever frequency to, and you guys to a benefit ass- organization. And you guys will assist businesses in sort of setting that up. Let's say they wanted it to be like a payroll deduction thing. You guys can guide them in how to do that. There's a lot of different options okay. that we can work with, and, and we really do tailor it to whatever that donor's need is. And that's the a, a beauty of our team, our donor services and development team, but it's also a beauty of uh, the Community Foundation platform. So we've talked a lot about the donor advised funds, but we also have scholarship funds okay. uh, that grant about $2 million a year to dozens of children. And you guys manage that application process? For our donors, yeah. So you could wow. you could have a scholarship in your name and maybe you and your family in honor of a loved one come together around a table and choose the scholarship recipient. But we're happy to manage the application process. Our colleague, Alicia Sembrook, goes out to schools and is pitching to make sure that students are applying for these scholarships yeah we also have a fantastic we haven't even and we won't get into it today but there's this whole other side of things of how do you get people to actually apply right because you have money you have to give away and we're honored to give it away and on behalf of our donors and we have a scholar link which is a great online platform that a student can click what their areas of interest are what high school they're from and then it does the back end sorting and then serves up to the student you might be eligible for this scholarship great so anybody listening to confluence cast today uh, having you know, a young person thinking about going on to post-secondary, absolutely check out the Columbus Foundation for our scholarships. Yeah. But then there's field of interest funds, which are more broad. That might just be hunger or housing. Okay. Uh, and so we're able to serve our donors in many ways. But you also asked about kind of our larger yeah. uh, donors. There's an interesting story from a couple of years ago. The largest gift to a community foundation went to the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Mark Zuckerberg Facebook, part of the IPO, went to see charitable good at the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Mm -hmm. The second largest gift that year came to the Columbus Foundation. Second largest gift nationally. Okay. um, An anonymous donor. And their professional advisors searched, uh, started with a list of the top 25 community foundations, kind of vetted each one, and then made their decision based on a myriad of criterion, right? But even in our case, we found out it was our great colleague who answers the phone. And just that sense of service and and duty to the organization was felt throughout every touch point that that professional advisor had. And so we're honored to work with that donor and help them with their charitable interests. And so this is not even necessarily somebody who lives in Columbus Correct. or I can has... tell you they do not live in Ohio and likely have minimal ties to central Ohio other than working a professional relationship with the Columbus Foundation. Wow, that's fantastic. So it's a, that, I mean, we have... That's certainly a feather in you guys' cap. Absolutely. But we're, we're also, we look for those feathers in every single interaction with every nonprofit organization, with every member of the public and with every donor. And so it, that donor received no different service right? just because they had a few more zeros. Right. Well, you didn't know that they had a few more zeros. Very true. Right. Right. And so that was a big surprise. 
last point, what are the large areas of distribution that you guys are doing? So in 2015, that $176 million number that I mentioned, uh, the largest category of that was education, and that large likely would include some of the scholarship okay. dollars as, as well. And then social services, so the basic, the food, shelter, clothing, the nonprofit organizations that are doing such an important job in our community uh, all throughout, and as the face of poverty changes and creeps more into the suburbs where people think everything might still be hunky-dory, many of our families are, are still experiencing poverty. Um, and then behind that, arts is a very large category of funding for us, from operating support to uh, large presenting arts organizations, uh, to operating support to even volunteer-run grassroots presenting arts organizations. And I know I already said lastly, but what are the challenges that the Columbus Foundation faces that people should be aware of? Um, I think w- w- from a donor side is the challenge and the misconception that, that there's not a place at the table for you. Okay. Um, there absolutely is, and we want to work with you. Then some of the other challenges that the needs are ever present in our community, and we're wor- we are working with great partners, the organizations that are in the trenches and the boots that are on the ground, but all too often those needs exceed the resources that are available. Even though we're a top 10 community foundation by assets, uh, we unfortunately have to say no to a lot of really great and good proposals from great and good organizations. But staying on top of the needs within our community that are often unseen. So I think of human trafficking, which is a a tremendous issue in central Ohio, partly because of our geography, partly because of our population makeup in terms of age, but also economic levels. But then infant mortality, I mentioned, these are often unseen uh, and more so not talked about Mm -hmm. topics that very much have merit to be addressed, whether from the survivors of human trafficking finding gainful employment that's legal, mm-hmm. whether it's addiction that, that they might be experiencing, or the, the variable factors to the infant mortality. Some of it is prenatal care. Some of it is just education right. um, about the, the challenges of parenting and the health risks. Uh, and some of it is economic. So ensuring that people are working in you know, livable wages so that they can sustain and provide for their family. And so that's a challenge because these issues are so very complex that we can't often just go to a donor and say, give to X and you will will solve this problem. Right. Right. And and there are many on-ramps for people to be engaged. So those would be the two challenges that I think are ever present in our work. Great. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Tim, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your most generous donor. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a good week. Thank you.